something out there. I, I, uh, I don't often think before I speak. You all know this about me, right? Um, and I, I shoot from the hip a lot. And um, sometimes I say the wrong things. We've all been a part of that. Um, knowing my heart, I, I love all y'all deeply. Like I, I, you know, I'm here because I choose to be. I will give my entire life to working here um, because I love y'all. If I say something stupid, tell me and I'll make amends. Um, and before I start preaching this morning, I wanted to say that because if I say something stupid this morning, let me know. Um, that having been said, buckle up. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, I pray as I talk about the text today, um, I pray as I bring your word uh, that you would help me to um, help me to be faithful to you. Um, Lord God, I pray that you would, uh, that you would help me to, to stand uh, and, and speak your words, not mine that the, the foolishness of my heart would be set aside and that Christ would fill that space, um, that the gospel would be preached, that folks would hear from you, um, and we would walk out the door today inspired to be your people. And I pray for your grace in your hand and that in everything. Um, help us to be your people. Uh, in Christ's name, amen. All right, we are on to Stephen's execution. Before I start... So um, I have been in ministry for a little over 20 years, 22 years, right? 23 maybe, almost. Um, and if you include volunteer positions beforehand, it stretches back a little further. Um, and I am only in my mid-20s, mid-40s. Um, and I, I have looked back over the years at different things I've done and different things I have been excited about. And, and before I came here, actually, I worked at Basher, and you guys hear me talk about it a lot because I was passionate about it, because I got to preach the gospel to drug addicts and to sex offenders and to, to um, young ladies who had been prostitutes. And I, I got to baptize some of them. And I got to, um, sometimes I got to get punched while preaching the gospel, which is a weird, wonderful experience. I recommend it highly. Um, I I, and I believed in that job so much I said I would do it forever, which is a stupid thing to stay in front of God, say in front of God because it's like I dare you. Um, and actually when I was there, one day I was sitting on a couch in the uh, administrative building uh, doing some work, and the CEO came up and he sat down next to me, showed me a version of the, of the organization's logo. And he asked me, do you like this one or do you like this one? And what's your thoughts on this one versus this one? What's your opinion? And so I gave him my opinion. And then I said, what's it for? I found out later it was for a giant uh, sign that went on the side of a school building they, had, they were building at the time. But when I asked, he said, oh, we're going to offer it as a tattoo to anybody who hits their 10-year mark. Um, and, and so that'll be it. And, and, you know, he laughed and I laughed and... I left uh, just after eight years, um, but I began talking about this with my boss, and I, I said to him, I said, well, I'm going to hit 10 years soon. I want the tattoo. And he said, what? What are you talking about? And I said, well, the CEO told me that I could get the tattoo if I went the distance. I do not have any tattoos. Sorry. Uh, and we went back and forth about it. I said, well, you know, I, this, is, this is who I am. I, you know, God has put me here. This is the work I do. And I, I'm so much believing in it, I will get this tattooed on my, on my shoulder, you know, and I will be a part of this place forever. 
And uh, what is it that I had read recently back then? I would read that uh, Harley Davidson would say, you know, there are a lot of motorcycles out there. It's one thing for somebody to put their butt on one of their seats. It's another thing for them to put their logo in their skin. And I said, that's who I want to be. It'll be that guy. This is how committed I am. And they went back and forth about it. And eventually the CEO said, well, it's weird. We've got to kind of bury it in the paperwork because that's not a thing we're supposed to do. But if he puts in for an office supply request for ink, <laughs> I will pay for it. And then I left. And I came here. I will not be getting our logo tattooed on me. Though it's far more acceptable in Montana. Um, but I, I, I am where God wants me to be. I have no doubt about that. And I will do this until he makes me go somewhere else, until you fire me, uh, or until I just flat out stop breathing. Um, because I believe in this. This is what God has put in front of me. It is a whole thing to live for something. To say, this is a thing I will devote my life to. And if you look around you, there are people who are devoting their lives to all kinds of stuff. You can walk downtown on a Saturday night at 2 o'clock in the morning and you'll encounter guys who are devoting their entire lives to escaping themselves, right? Um, you can meet people who are devoting their entire lives to caring for the elderly, which is amazing. Those people are better than me. Or people like Lenore and her husband who have devoted their lives to taking care of um, people that need to be taken care of, right? And that's admirable. That is like Jesus stuff. That's what we're called to be. And so as I talk about this, I think that our, you know, our world has sold us on a bill of goods as to what we should be living for that is absolutely nonsense, right? Like, what are you willing to trade for? You know, and especially we're talking about this right now as like, oh, well, there's going to be a civil war, which there isn't. Stop talking about it. Um, you know, hey, we can, you know, ammunition can't be bought right now because the world's going to end or whatever. I mean, like, there's all this talk about things that are people are so energized about, about politics and about you know, culture and everything else. Like, people are so wound up. And my question is, like, is any of that stuff worth it? And so as we dive into Stephen's uh, last moments alive, uh, I'm going to give you a little background, and we're going to start right at the end of Stephen's sermon. Stephen is before the Sanhedrin. What he had done was, he is, his job is to wait tables, right? And I'll tell you, if God sends me to wait tables, I'll do that. I hope he doesn't, I mean, awful waiter, waited tables in a Mexican restaurant once, and it was not good. Um, but his job was to wait tables, to take care of the elderly in the uh, synagogues that belonged to the Hellenists. And while he was there, he preached, and he argued, and he debated, and finally they dragged him before the Sanhedrin, uh, like which is the court of the day, the Jewish court of the day, and they put him on trial for things that they made up, like, oh, well, he blasphemed, he said he was going to do away with the law, he's going to tear down the temple, and all this other stuff. He said this big trumped-up thing, and they said, how do you answer these charges? And what he did was, he answered them by preaching a sermon to them, saying, you're saying that I am blaspheming, I'm saying that you people blaspheme with your lives. Right? It was, it was brutal. Um, it is one of the most out-there sermons in the scriptures. Like, actually, John told me it's one of his favorite passages in the Bible, and I think it's the way John preaches. He is one of those guys that will stand up and just throw it out there, and you can like it or you can lump it. Um, and he doesn't get past the law. He tells them what they're doing wrong, and before he gets a chance to preach the gospel, 
they kill him. Because they are so burned by the words that are thrown at them that they cover their ears so they won't hear it. And he finishes with, you stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are uncircumcised, meaning you are as good as pagans in your hearts and your ears. You will not hear the truth. You are just like your ancestors. You, have always, res- you always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed the one who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered even him, or him, sorry. Uh, You who have received the law that was given through the angels, but have not obeyed it. And so he puts it back on him. He says, you guys screwed up. The next step is realize you have sinned. Realize you have failed. Realize you are living for something that has nothing to do with what God put you there for. Because if you think about it, their job was to stand in the place, like in the temple, which is the place. Like the temple wasn't God's house. God didn't have a house. It's nonsense. The temple was the place where people would go and encounter God. It was the one spot where they could go and stand and be in this place that God was. And that was their job, was to be a facilitator of that. And I'm telling you, I don't do exactly that, but I do some of that. And I am honored every morning I get to get up in the morning and come in here and, like, write sermons and study God's word and try and explain it to you. Like, I'm honored that any of y'all even listen to me. You should be. Um, because there are days I get to be the voice of the Holy Spirit in people's lives. Nothing better in the world. Right? So he says this. You guys have lost the plot. You worry more about the temple than you do about God. You worry more about this stuff than you do about God. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I have seen have it, or I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Now, this is something that he mentions multiple times because he wants to emphasize it. Stephen is in a spot. Stephen is, you know, he's at the end of the clock, right? The time is coming. He is, he is about to go see Jesus. And the Son of Man standing next to God, like, there's a pretty good chance that this has to do with the fact that he's going to be martyred, Right? Um, one of the things I've always, because my dad is in the military, I grew up on Air Force bases. I grew up around military family and everything else. Um, I married, I always joke that one of the reasons I married my wife was because she had family that died at the Alamo. Um, so now that's a part of my lineage. Um, like, there are people who do things that are honorable. And, like, it always blows me away when I see, you know, like a, like a, a man who's missing his legs because he lost him in combat, and he walks in, and, like, the president of the United States, whoever he is at the time, stands up. You know, or I used to go to the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier a couple times a year, and you'd sit there, and you'd watch, and you realize this is somebody who, like, was broken beyond recognition, and we honor them so much that we have guys that night and day, rain or shine, you know, tornado, hurricane, snow, they march, and they honor and respect that. Like, that is something. Like, that is where Stephen's at. Stephen is at a point where he is about to be like the son of God who poured out his blood to save us from our sins, um, stood up at his entrance. Wow, right? Man, I, 
I have a lot of doubt I'm going to be martyred. Right? It seems unlikely at this point. Um, it seems more likely somebody is going to kill me on my way out of church one day for saying something stupid. Um, and there have been plenty of people who have thought about it, I think. But he has this opportunity. He is in this spot where the Son of God stood up for him. He's about to go. Sorry, this isn't cooperating with me today. At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they rushed at him. So he says, you're uncircumcised ears. You will not hear what I am saying. And what do they do when they're told their sins? They cover their ears. <laughs> and they rush at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Now, a couple of real quick notes here. Um, this is, there's a lot of debate as to whether or not what they did was in harmony with Jewish law. Okay. Um, it probably isn't. Um, the reason they brought him out of the city first off is because they're murdering him. Okay. And generally murdering people in a very public setting, bad idea. Right. I mean, it's fair enough. Like they took him out of the city so they wouldn't be seen, but also so they would not disgrace the city or the temple with the dead body, like make it unclean. You know, this is how screwed up these guys are. They're breaking the law. They're breaking the Roman law. They're breaking Jewish law. They're breaking court law, like across the board, right? And they're like, oh, but while we murder this guy, let's take him out of the city so that the city doesn't become unclean. What? Because they had an idol, right? And we all have them. I mean, like, this part of being human. I think it was, uh, I don't remember the name, but Jeremy's going to call it out when I say it, that the human heart is an idol-making factory. There you go. Thank you. And it's true. I will find idols everywhere, right? I will idolize my car. Right now, I kind of idolize comfort, right? I idolize myself most days. Most of us do. We want to be looked at great. I, I have a very fancy, shiny idol I carry, carry around with me, and I look at it every day. Anybody else do that? You know what's really depressing? Spend about Five minutes, open up your settings, go to the little timer, and see how much time you stare at that thing every week. And compare that to how much time you spend with prayer, maybe. That's law, not gospel. Right? How much time you spend with your kids. How much time you spend, I don't know, doing anything that's a waste of time. Or, or that's not a waste of time. Because, like, at the end of the day, Facebook and Twitter and everything else is a waste of time, right? I get nothing out of it. But I do worship it. I do get back there. Part of my job is to do that. But that's really, that's a fig leaf. But I have to see my kids, and i got to talk to this person, i got to do this, and i got to do that, and i got to do everything else. And it's all nonsense, because at the end of the day, it's an idol. And so... Their idol is the city and the temple. And they drag him out of the city, and then they kill him. Mind you, here's the rule for it. They would take him out of the city. They would throw him off a cliff, right? That was the first thing you were supposed to do. Rome, Jewish law dictated this. You throw him off a cliff first so they can't run away. And so they're mostly dead. Then you go down there, and you have a couple of guys flip him onto his back, and then they stone them from the top of the cliff. And usually you start with... Like boulders. You know why? Because it was painless that way. Right? It was the fastest, quickest way to kill someone that was painless and like absolved the community because everybody did the execution. So you would throw a boulder on them and that would be it. 
Instead, this is a mob sort of pretending to follow the rules because following the rules is important, right? Because these guys see their own holiness and the temple and cleanliness and a whole bunch of other nonsense as the most important thing in the world. And they've forgotten God because their stuff matters. And so they throw him off. Meanwhile, or they, they take him out and they throw stones at him and kill him. Um, and I'll tell you how I know in a second that they didn't follow the rules. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. And Saul enters the story. Saul is one of the most influential people who has ever lived in human history. And we first encounter him presiding over an illegal execution, over a murder. Him standing there and presiding over it is the equivalent of saying, I approve. This is a huge deal because we find out later that Saul's boss, his teacher, right? He was a student of a rabbi training to become a rabbi. His teacher was Gamaliel. Now, this is like three months ago, so you probably don't remember this, but Gamaliel was the member of the Sanhedrin who stood up and said, don't torture them, don't kill them, see if they run out on their own. Because if we don't, and they are from God, then we're fighting God. And Saul is basically saying, Forget that. I'll fight God if it means I get to win this, right? Saul was a Greek-speaking Jew. He was probably a member of the Hellenist uh, synagogues where, um, where Stephen was doing most, most of his preaching. And so Saul probably lost arguments to this guy. Now, the reason they're doing this, part of the reason is, like these guys are, like the, the Hellenist Jews were ultra temple, and they were ultra this, and they were ultra that. They were devoted to all of that stuff, and it didn't matter that he was dishonoring his teacher. It didn't matter that he was doing something that was against Roman law. It didn't matter that they were ignoring rabbinical law and the way they executed him. What mattered is he offended the temple, and I don't want to hear it, right? You're eating my sacred cow, buddy. Stop it, all right? While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. Now, here's how we know this was like not following the rules. First off, the Romans don't know about it. If the Romans knew about it, they probably would have said no, right? Or there would have been a lengthy trial. These guys are just ticked off. You're offending my idol. We're going to kill this guy. Um, so they're doing something that could have reasonably gotten them into trouble, and so they're trying to do it in secret. Secondly, if they'd thrown him off a cliff, would he have been able to stand up? Nope. Would he have fallen to his knees to pray? Probably not. He would have had a broken back, and he would have been laying there, and they would have rolled him on his back so they could execute him properly. Like, they didn't do that. He calls out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Now, really interesting. Anybody ever say prayers when they were kids? Well, all right, what was the prayer? Can anybody recite it? Anybody else? Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. God bless mom, dad. said the same prayer every night for the first 10 years of my life probably. Um, and I can recite it in my sleep. I probably did more than once. Um, when you were a little Jewish boy or a little Jewish girl... Every night when you would go to bed, you would say a prayer. Same idea. And the prayer is from Psalm 31, verse 5. Into your hand I commit my spirit. 
You have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. And so his version of it is, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Like this is a variation of the prayer that he said every night growing up. Um, Why does that matter? Because, first off, he is a son, child, doing the father's will, right? That Abba Father thing, Daddy God. um, This is ingrained into who this man is. And the child's prayer is, you redeem me, and he turns and he talks to Jesus, who redeems us. You, me, everybody else in this room, ain't a one of us perfect, ain't a one of us good. We are idol-making factories on wheels, feet. Sorry, eventually wheels, but we'll talk about that right now. We are idol-making factories. We are not good. The only reason I can stand before you today and talk about Jesus and not be struck dead is because the Lord Jesus died for me. He took punishment in my place. He took punishment in your place. He took punishment in that other guy's place. Your neighbor, who is annoying, died for that guy. The, The person who lives in your house who you can't stand died for them. The person who you say nasty things to regularly or gossip about behind their back or whoever died for them. Died for Joe Biden. Died for Donald Trump. Died for Nancy Pelosi. Died for Rush Limbaugh. Died for, you get the idea? One side or another hates them. Christ died for all of them. And where the culture wants to fight with each other over control of the nation We're fighting so people don't go to hell. We're fighting to glorify God. I was talking, actually overheard just a bit of a conversation, participating in a little bit. Um, Mark was saying to Jeremy, all three of us bought M1 Garands a couple years ago. And it is the coolest gun I own. I have 15 rounds that go in it. And so I never shoot it. You know why? It's really hard to get military-grade World War II ammunition. It just is. It just is. And so I never shoot it. But it is the coolest thing I own, right? The gospel, that story, is the coolest thing we've got. It is the thing I would die for. I know guys that say, you can have my gun when you pry it out of my, right? What does it go? Right? The gospel is the only thing that matters. The gospel is the only thing in this life worth living for. Is the only thing worth dying for. And it covers everything. You're, you know, well, but I love my kids. The gospel covers that. Right? Read the household codes. It covers that. I love my wife better because Christ loves me. I'm a better husband. Like, the more I learn to be like Jesus, I, the more I'm a better husband. Right? I joke that I'm the best husband in the world. John, I do joke. And I aim for it, but only because I aim to be like Christ. Right? I aim to be like Jesus. That's what I'm living for. And I'm here to tell you, this is what Stephen is doing. Stephen is acting like Christ. He is standing in front of accusers and a trial, and he is being Jesus. And I imagine it was hard. Our world does not present us this option. We're given a different one. There was a guy I knew. His name was Zenny. He uh, was a Czechoslovakian correspondent for Voice of America Radio. I worked there for a little while in college, and he and I would talk every day. We'd go to Berghaus, and we'd drink a beer back when I used to drink beer, and we would talk. And Zenny was a born-again Christian who had escaped you know, the Eastern Bloc, and this was who this guy was. And we would talk, and he said, you know, 
any idiot can spit on the ground and take a bullet in defiance. So what they really do to you that's horrible is they pack you up and they send you to a ball-bearing factory and they bore you for decades. And it breaks who you are. All of us, right? This is where we live. I could read the scriptures or I could catch the biggest loser. I don't think that's even on anymore. What do, you, what do we watch? Anyone? Really? Nobody watches TV anymore? Just me? Or Facebook. Or I could scroll through Facebook, right? I could see what crazy Uncle Al has to say. There's no Al here, is there? <laughs> I, no, we don't have an Al. I can see what crazy Uncle Al has to say about, you know, the price of oil in China. You know, I could see what, you know, so-and-so has to say about what the government's doing behind my back and undercover. I could see what, I mean, right? How much time do we waste doing that? I have posted, personally, probably 85 Bernie Sanders memes. (laughs) They have made me laugh. But at the end of the day, like, if I, and that's not a bad thing. Enjoying yourself is not a bad thing. If my life becomes about this, if I spend more time doing that than I do doing things that actually matter. But that's the temptation, right? The ease of the world we live in is that it is so stinking easy. And most of the time, when people are afraid of the world changing, they're not afraid of anything but losing their comfort. Right? I have a lot of money. I have a nice TV. I can do this and this, and I can say what I want, and if all that stuff goes away, that's a problem. If the economy crashes, I lose my job, that's a problem. Comfort is it. Comfort is what America offers us. Stephen had to stand in front of the Sanhedrin and do something hard, and I'm not denigrating that. But every day you and I get up and we face down a demand that we ignore the things that matter. Every day we have to die to ourselves, right? Every day we have to make a decision to love people who are unlovable. Every day we have to make a decision to talk about Jesus or not talk about Jesus. And most of the time we choose to not, right? Because it's weird. Our culture tells us it's weird, and it's kind of embarrassing, isn't it? It is. Well, except for Frank, who's better than me. Um, the, The reality is that it is a hard thing to do in our culture because it's not socially acceptable. Because every time you turn on the TV, the guy talking about Jesus, kind of a jerk, right? But if you look at the people in our community who are most respected, a lot of them are people who would talk about Jesus. The reality is we make this choice every day. Be comfortable and hide or say what I believe. Live for something more important. Live for something better. I can live for my 401K. I'm going to die before I spend it. I can live for my kids. I can. And there's a lot of good in that, but if I teach my kids to be people who live for their 401ks, failed. God gives us one thing that's worth living for. And it's Christ on the cross for us. Our job 
And I think I'm going to be honest. Going forward here in the next few, in the next year or two, what we're going to talk about is our job. It's on the back wall. I have not memorized that thing. I look at it every day. I have been every day for nine years, and I'll hopefully look at it every day until my eyes can't see it anymore. Um, but what it basically says is, our job is to make disciples. Our job is to duplicate ourselves. Um, Jeremy is going to be my example of this, though I can point to more than one. Um, when Brooke left, right, and we we're all heartbroken, and Rebecca pointed this out to me, we all said, what's going to happen now? And Brooke, who invested years into Jeremy's life, showed up pretty much the next uh, Wednesday for youth group, right? He was shorter, less muscular. <laughs> he had hair. <laughs> he had hair. <laughs> but he was Jeremy because what Brooke did was Brooke duplicated himself. If I'm not duplicating myself, I'm not doing my job. If you're not teaching your kids to be like Jesus and duplicating yourself, right, you're not doing your job. You can make them rich one day. If you're not making them like Jesus, if you're not duplicating yourself, we're missing the mission. It is the one thing worth living for. It is. One thing. And you're going to hear it out of my mouth a lot. So be aware. This is our one thing. We're going to duplicate. If you look at yourself and you say, I have been sitting in sermons for decades. Anybody? I have been doing Bible studies for decades. I have read the Bible through 25 times. I have faced difficult moral decisions and made the right ones. I have grown to overcome these addictions and this area of sin in my life and everything else. And you're not duplicating yourself. Guess what? Not doing your job. This is our drive, guys. We are in an awesome place. We have money. Did you guys know that? We have money in the bank. We could actually not take offering for a year. That is a dangerous place and an awesome place. It's dangerous because we can sit on it and do nothing. Everything's okay and we're comfortable. In reality, we're not called to be comfortable. We're called to stand up and say, Christ died for you. Some of us will stand before the Sanhedrin and our families will kick us out or people will not want to talk to us anymore. Some of you might even die for Christ. I don't know. I don't know what tomorrow holds. The world's crazy. The reality is I would rather, rather reproduce myself. I would rather talk about Jesus and I would rather die every day than anything else. And I'd rather do it here. Because this place matters, because you guys matter, because Christ died for every one of you, and I believe in, like, the work this church is doing. And my challenge for you is, like, to look and say, where's my time going? What is my idol? Am I dying every day and becoming more like Christ? Sometimes that means confessing stuff that you don't want to confess. I'm here to tell you, as a guy who did recovery and overcame a bunch of, like, horrible stuff, confessing that stuff, oh, my Lord, I would rather roll around in broken glass. 
And some of us would rather hide our stuff and be comfortable than confess, than overcome our sins. That's it. Going forward, this is what we're going to talk about. We've got to bring it out. We've got to die to ourselves. We have to duplicate ourselves. We have to point to Jesus over and over and over again. Because otherwise, in 20 years, all the kids are going to grow up and go away to college, and there's going to be eight of us. And I'm going to be one of them. Jeremy's going to be the other. (laughs) Right? Tell me I'm wrong. We're in a good place because God has given us resources. We're in a dangerous place because we can be comfortable. The job we have going forward is to hit it harder and harder and harder. Serve the community. Love people like Jesus is coming back tomorrow. Make disciples like we're going to die today. And Saul approved of their killing him. I'm going to end there. It's not where I planned on ending. But I'm going to point out Saul becomes the next Stephen. After arguing with Stephen every day. And then the Holy Spirit grabbed a hold of him. And the seeds that Stephen planted became something better. Where are you planting your seeds? You plant them in your own yard? Your own comfort zone in your 401k? Or are you planting them in the lives of the people you encounter? I'm going to close. I know I'm long. I don't care um, because I've been agonizing over this conversation for a while, and I really needed to put it out there. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would give me the perseverance to follow through all the way to the end in this place. Lord God, I pray for your grace and your mercy on my heart and on my soul that I would be your man in this community, despite who I am and how much I don't deserve it. I pray that you would use me despite my limited ability. And I pray that in the lives of every person in this room whose conscience was pricked, whose heart was moved, who was shifted, that they would realize that they exist here to do amazing things in your name, even if it's just praying for the lost every day and serving people who need to be served. Like, Lord God, help us to be your people. Help us don't, don't let us be people of our political party or people of Facebook or people of Twitter or people who've seen every episode of The Mass Singer but can't recite a psalm. Help us to be your people. And then, Lord God, as we become your people, help us to recognize the folks around us who are lost, who need a direction, who need investment, and help us to pour ourselves out into them because that is what we are here for. Help us to stay focused on that like we're looking at the post at the end of the field and keep our lines straight. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. I'm going to close with a blessing, which is not something I've done in a while. But I really wanted to include this, and I forgot it. Now I'm going to say it. Everybody stand up.